Well, Happy New Year. Um, I, uh, I think because you're here uh, on the first Sunday after, or, or you know, January 1st Sunday, that you're here at church. I'm just, I, I'm maybe be taking a little license here, but I think you're going to get a few more jewels in your crown in heaven because you are here this morning. I don't think you're going to get as many as the jewels that they got in first service, but you're here during second service, so you'll get some. So that's good. I mean, I hope you guys feel great about that. Um, so I don't know about you, but, um, you know, when you think about the first day of a new year, when you think about, okay, what is it, um, you think about the start of a new year, I'm wondering what, um, what, what you know, what, what do you want 2017 to be like in your life? I mean, when you think about this next year, what do you want, what do you want to happen? What desires do you have? If you were to have a three-by-five card and have to write down your goals or your dreams or your desires, what would you write? Um, and as you're on that path, um, or as you're writing those goals, as you're, as you're asking God, what is your will, how can you decipher the will of God for your life? I mean, how do you know that those goals that you might write down on a three-by-five card are from God? I mean, what, do you want assurance? Do you want some type of certainty or peace that, hey, these are right. These are from God. And um, if you look in, in, in God's word, there are many times that uh, people are asking that. People want peace of mind. People want to have, I mean, we know um, we can't have full certainty. Like, this is the exact thing, but we can have legitimate assurity that, hey, this is, we are walking with God. We are, um, we are, yeah, we are in kind of lockstep with him. And so what I want us to do, we're going to get back to John next week, but I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 25. And, th- and a psalm is uh, this. It's a song. So if you're in your room and you had a guitar, and whatever you're feeling, you wanted to talk to God, that's what this is. A psalm is, is, a, is a person in their room um, either you know, coming up with a song, writing a song of just celebration. God, you should not have given me this blessing. Or, I, I'm, man, I'm in, I'm in despair. I'm in lament. What, look, look what's going on. Or confusion. And so David, we're going to look at Psalm 25. And David is a guy who wrote some intense psalms. The happiest of psalms. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And the darkest of psalms. The darkness is my closest friend. It's the end of Psalm 89 or 88. And then he wrote, you know, the hard psalm of Psalm 51 after he committed adultery. After he, he slept with Bathsheba and then he murdered her husband, he realized and it hit him what he did. And he just broke. And it was the, this psalm of brokenness. Created me a clean heart, O Lord my God, and renew a right spirit within me. This this week we're going to look at Psalm 25 where God is, uh, he's asking God, he's singing a song to God, God help me, help me uh, decipher your will. I want your mercy to come, but I want to know what to do. So I'm just going to read the psalm, it's a little bit longer, it's 20, 21 verses I think, 22 verses, so it's a little bit longer, but I want you to feel this psalm, right? As, as I read it, I want you to feel the emotions in this psalm and, and kind of Look at the data, the truths that he is kind of communicating, but also the affect around it. David, in you, 
Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not, do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will will instruct them in the ways they choose. They should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear Him. He makes His covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord. For only He will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me. For I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let them put me to shame. For I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me. Because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Psalm 25. This is a song David writes. He's trying to figure out, okay, God, tell me, help me. How am I supposed to do life here? And so when you are thinking about, okay, God, I think you're leading me. God, I think I'm calling out to you and I, and I believe that uh, you're guiding me. Um, how can you know that you're not just making these decisions on your own, but rather there's a plan? How can you know that? That it's not just you, there's a plan, and God is actually leading you on a plan. Have you asked that? Have you asked that this week? Have you asked that for 2017? How can you know? How can I know? And so um, I think as you look at, at the, the story of the church, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because um, up until probably 100 years ago, maybe 75 years ago, there really wasn't any talk about knowing the will of God. But nowadays, if you go to a Christian conference, um, there, are, there are 20 seminars on this stuff. Uh, how can I know the will of God? And one of them is, you know, how, what's God's will for my life? Um, and so as we think about it, this obsession, even on the part of the church and Christians in the church, and particularly, I would say, younger Christians. Um, we have to make these big decisions in our life. I get that. Like, who are you going to marry? Um, who are your group of friends going to be? Should I take this job, right? 
where you have this kind of wet cement in your life and you can make some changes. But man, once that settles, it's going to be a big deal. I mean, once you make these decisions, obviously, hey, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty big. And so as, as Christians, when we look to this psalm, what does it tell us? Um, and I, first, I want you to know that this, you know, verse 12 and 13 of what we just read. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. And what that's saying is, if you fear God, I mean, if you fear God, um, God will take care of you. Um, and so when you think about fear, and, and kind of in the Old Testament, fear is not this, I'm just, uh, I have this phobia of God. I'm just going to be terrorized by God. There is that sense and awe towards God, but there's also this, you know what? I am fully okay with being under you. I do fear you. You are uh, bigger than me. You are stronger than me. And when I go into battle, I trust what you say. And, and I'm almost going to revel in what you have for me. I, I'm going to uh, believe that you are going to instruct me in that way. So God, lead me. And he says, look, if you fear me, um, I'm going to take care of you. I will instruct you if you fear me. If you don't fear me, it's a different story. But if you fear me, you know what? There is this plan, and God has it for you. And uh, Paul piggybacks on this in, New Te- in the New Testament, in, in Ephesians. He says, look, um, yeah, uh, God has a plan for you. In fact, you are God's workmanship, uh, created in Christ Jesus to do works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. In other words, everyone in this room, have, have, you have certain things that God wants you to do for 2017. That is true. I mean, you, there are certain things God wants for you that he has prepared in advance for you to do. And so when you think about this, that one verse, um, I think a better translation is, is almost like we are God's craftsmanship. And in, in the Greek, it's poema. And really, you can translate that as you are his poem. Everyone in this room is God's poem. And you are unique, right? I walked in here in the preschool. They got the sign, right? And it says, um, there are no two, two snowflakes that are alike. La, la, la. You know, like, awesome. You know, like, but you know what? It's true. Hey, little guys, you're a snowflake. And there is no one like you. You are completely unique. And God has a plan for you. It's all what? It's all in his design. But here's the deal. We have a a world that has a completely different voice about this. A world, our scientific, American scientific world, go to the great universities of our nation, and you go into the science department, and here's what the great scientists, kind of the scientists say. They they tell us um, that uh, ultimately we are evolved. You know, it's this evolution. And so there is what? There is this blind, unconscious, unconscious, mechanical, and algorithmic process. Nothing means anything. There is nothing special about you. No one has designed you. Everything what? Is designed through this algorithmic process. That's what the scientific world says. It's you are part of an algorithm. 
And it just goes. And we have a, uh, a certain uh, moniker for that, and that is natural selection. And it's random, and it's blind, and it's mechanical. And when that begins to seep in, and our whole culture begins to believe that, well then, yeah. I mean, what's the, di- what's the difference? You're, I mean, we're all, what? It's random. Your life is random. There is no design to it. There is no purpose. Just try not to hurt anyone. But Paul and David say, you know what? You've been designed. You are God's craftsmanship. And the second thing he says is what? You have been created, what? To do good works beforehand, in advance, before the foundation of the world. God had works for you to do in 2017. In January of 2017, God has works for you to do uniquely, based upon what? The way in which you have been designed. And so, um, if that is true, then your experiences, your what? Your troubles, even your sufferings, even the bad things that have happened to you because of who you've become, these things, what? There are things that you can do. There are, there are conversations you can have, people that you can address, and only you can address them because you are a, God's craftsmanship. You are unique. You are customized to have the conversations that only you can, and your spouse can't have them with that person. I can't have them with that person. Only you. Only you can speak the words. And when you think about that, that's remarkable. That's something modern people in the West, with our individualistic souls, our self-conscious, our need-oriented little souls, we love this part of the Bible. We love that, that truth that you are uniquely uh, designed to have a specific role. And that's great. And it's tremendous. Um, Because if you turn away from it, if you turn to a secular worldview, I tell you what, we're an algorithm, we're mechanical, it's just nothingness. There's nothing special about um, you or me. But the Bible says, no, you are God's workmanship, and there is a path, and there is a way, and there is a plan for your life. That's what Scripture is trying to sing to us. He is an artist, God is, and you are a work of art. Okay, so what... What can we do? How, how can we go about this? And so some of us, as we're trying to find this plan, um, maybe that's why you're in this church service this morning. You want the plan, right? You want the specific plan. I want the specific plan. But um, I want God to give me a word this morning so that I know exactly what to do for the next month, right? Right? And in a lot of ways, what we're saying and what I say to God is I want a shortcut. I, want a short, I just want to know now. Give me a couple bullet points for what I'm supposed to do. That's why I'm here, um, uh, to make sure I'm going to be blessed. Um, J.I. Packer, a great theologian, put, put um, it this way. He says, he says, if you are lost and you are driving around and you drive up to a corner and you see somebody who looks like a local and he knows the way, You say, hey, I'm trying to get to this place. I'm trying to get to X. But the guy looks at you and he says, "Uh, that's going to be mighty, 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 mighty hard to do. (laughs) That's going to be really difficult. So he draws you this unbelievable map. 
and you look at that map, right? And you're like, uh, okay, uh, well, I'm not sure. That's pretty, pretty detailed. Like when we were going to the Grand Canyon, and I was like, oh boy, I don't even... That's, that rim's over there, and that rim's like 20 miles away, and where are we, and what are we looking at, and what are the best places, and it seems like we're kind of zigging and zagging and going all over the place and doing circles, and it's kind of like you get that map, um, and then the guy looks at you and says, hey, you know what? I tell you what, uh, I could give you the map, but you know what? I'm going that way myself, so I'll go with you. I, I will jump in the car with you, and... Um, he doesn't give you the, um, the guidance, but he, gives you the, but he becomes the guide, right? And you don't really have any idea exactly where you're going, but it doesn't matter anymore why. You're not worried because the guide is in the car with you. And so when you choose the Lord and say, okay, God, you want to be... Um, I, I want you to be my guide. And then you say, um, but what map are you using? He goes, no, no, no. I'll just be your guide, and can you trust me? Can you trust me? When I say take a left, you'll take a left. Because I know where we're going. Uh, I'm not going to show you each particular spot that will hit, but I, I'm going to be your guide. And that's, that's the hard process about being a Christian that's going to listen to the voices God's saying to you and to me. Hey, I'm going to get in the car with you, and I'm going to be your guide, but I'm not going to ultimately show you the map of every place we'll stop. Because I'm wondering if you are um, being, being 40, being 50, being 20, being 15, the stops that you have along the way that you don't know about, if you knew that, if you knew some of the hard things you would go through, would you even want them in the car next to you? If you knew you were going to have to um, go through what you were going to go through, would you want that map? Or would you tear that thing up and say, no way. I don't want this map. I don't trust, what? I don't trust this process that God has um, for me. And I think he knows that about us. And that's why he doesn't give us what? the full map of everything we're going to go through. Many of you ask, God, tell me what's going to happen in the future. Just tell me. Tell me what's going to happen. And time and time again, he says, I'm not going to tell you the future. I'm going to be here with you, and I'm going to say, do you trust me? And that is the process. I'll never forget, as a junior in college, one of my heroes who went into the ministry, um, he gave a talk about how the Bible says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And his point was this. You know what? It's a, it's a lamp. It's a light. You know what it's not? It's, it's not this huge halogen floodlight that you can see all the way down the path. It is a light. So what you can do with a light or a lamp, you can see the next step. You can see the next step. Because when I first saw this guy, I thought he was a great guy. And then two years later, he comes and he gives a talk and he doesn't have a left arm. Because God took his left arm from cancer. And so when he talked about, are you kidding me? If I would have known I would have lost my left arm, you think I would be where I was with God, but God kept me. He didn't tell me what he was going to do. He didn't tell me the sufferings I was going to have to walk because he knew I couldn't handle knowing I was going to lose my left arm. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. You want guidance. He's a light. He's a lamp. He's not a halogen floodlight that looks 
out the future. And so as you think about 2017, as you think about what God is asking you for, the type of man or woman he wants you to be, do you want him to be your guide? Are you just here to say, God, give me the map? Just give me the map, man. I'll do it. He's like, no, no, I'm the guide. Are you okay with me being the guide and taking you along this path? Because that's what I have for you. That is what I, I want to teach you. Elizabeth Elliot, who lost her husband Jim, we, I talked about him a few uh, months ago, gave this example of when she was a Bible translator in the jungles of South America. And she wrote a book called A Slow and Certain Light, and it's a book on guidance. And she remembers years ago when she was in the jungles of South America, a couple of adventurers from America came who were going to cut through the Amazon. And uh, they only came to her because she was the only one they knew who spoke English. And so they come to Elizabeth Elliot and they asked her for directions. And she says, directions? You, know, you, you don't need a map. You need a guide. Now, uh, they said, no, 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 no. We, we can make it. Just give us the map. Now, she never saw them again, and she didn't have any idea what happened. And maybe they made it, maybe they made it and maybe they didn't. But do you see? What she is saying is you don't need guidance. You need a guide. And that is the way in which David is speaking. Do you have this guide of being Jesus, being the Lord? It's, guidance is not something God gives you. Guidance is what? Guidance is something that God does to you. And so the Bible doesn't talk that much about how to get guidance. Guidance happens. And that's the struggle when we, okay, God, what is it? What is it? And we know, we know some general truths. And so I want us to just take four quick things from this text. Um, that have to be true if you want to be a person who receives the guidance of God. Just four, four, four quick things. Back to verse 4. It says this, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. You know, if you look carefully at that, you will see that this is not the same way that's mentioned in verse 12. Verse 12, it says, Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. There's a chosen way for you, and that's a planned will. But the psalmist doesn't start by saying, David, uh, by David saying, O Lord, show me your planned will. In the beginning, what does he say? Saturate me in your command will. Show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truths. What he says is before... He says, I want to know whom I should marry or where I should go. Before you tell me your planned will, what I want to know is what is your command will, the revealed will in the Word of God. The writer of Hebrews begins to kind of berate the church and get frustrated with the church because he says this about the church. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the Word of Righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained their faculties to distinguish between good and evil. 
So what he's saying is like, look, you're still like babies. Church, you're still like babies. You're on milk. You're, on, you're, you're, you're still getting basic truth. You need to what? If you want the planned will of God, you have to know what the commanded will of God revealed in what? In the scriptures. That, that, I mean, that's, that's the soil in which you can understand what? The planned will of God. But that's the thing that we don't want to hear, I know. What am I going to do now? I want to hear that. I want to know what? Uh, I, I, want, I want to know how, what school I should go to. I want to know what house, what neighborhood, what city, the kind of conversation I should have. And he says, look, you don't even know the commanded will of God. And you're asking for the planned will of God. You see, the processes are off. And that's not something that is uh, easy to deal with. But, he, but that is the breeding Right? That's the breeding ground. So when I went to Nicaragua um, th- three years ago, uh, yeah, three years ago, I, for about a month before, I, st- I had this uh, Spanish-English dictionary, right? And uh, I was uh, really going over my Spanish. I'd taken two years of Spanish. And, you know, being from this area, grew up with a lot of Cubans and, you know, I thought, well, you know, I've had to kind of do Spanglish for a little bit. I'll be fine. I'll be able to communicate, you know, Padre Nuestro, que estas en los cielos, <laughs> Santificado seo tu nombre, <laughs> right? That's the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. I thought that was pretty good, right? That's, that's really what it is. Um, and I, I couldn't get a cab. I couldn't do anything, right? I thought, you know what? Put a few minutes in for a month, uh, you know, uh, in Spanish. I'll know, the, I'll know the language. I got it. I mean, I'll, I'll be able to get by. I knew nothing. I couldn't function. People were looking at me weird. I'm sure I was using probably inappropriate verbs that I heard offending people all the time. <laughs> um, but what he's asking us to do is, look... You have to be a person who knows the truth of God inside and out. So saturate yourself in the Word of God. Do you know the Word of God? Do you understand the revealed, commanded will of God? If you don't, if you're not saturating yourself in in the basics, in the foundations, of, if that is not just, I mean, it is right there, then how are you expected to know the planned will of God? why we're all here, like your everyday real-time life. I get it. But if you don't know what he's already told us, then you know what? It's going to, it's going to uh, be a problem. We have to move, and, and that's going to take saturation. All right, second thing is this. Um, it says, guide me, show me the path chosen for me. But he continually confesses his sins. Do you notice that? What does that have to do with guidance? Verse 9, he says what? He guides the humble. I mean, the word humble, if if you look at the actual etymology of it, it just means this. It means you're teachable. It means that you're compliant. It's a word that means obedient. Um. And, it, and it's talking about uh, a person who listens and 
obeys, right? Listens and obeys. So with that saturation in God's word, the writer is saying, if you can couple that with what? Obedience. Doing the right thing. Learning to obey. Learning to, hey, I'm, I'm going to honor my father and mother. I'm going to what? I'm going to tell the truth. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to listen to what God, I'm not going to think I'm better than I am. It's reminding yourself that, look, Frank, you are still that short, little, stocky 12-year-old who um, got saved in Clearwater Christian College's chapel when Pistol Pete Maravich told you that you were a sinner and you realized you didn't deserve anything. And in that moment, you broke because you weren't, you weren't thinking you were good enough. You understood who you were. And that is a wretch. That is a worm. And you were the prodigal that ran away, and he was the father that loved you and said, I'll put the robe and the ring on you. Like, that humility is ultimately where you are, and you stay there. Because if you are there, and you understand how much grace has been given to you, and God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to then go to your six-period English class, and that person next to you doesn't know anything about the Bible. And they are that short, stocky 12-year-old. And I want you just to tell them that youth group is at 7 o'clock on Friday. And I want you to invite them. Okay, I'll invite them. Because, oh my word, I didn't deserve this grace. And I get eternal life with Jesus and the Spirit and God the Father. And I'm just, I was just worried that I just couldn't be a good off guard and that I was hoping a few of the cheerleaders thought I was cute. Like what? And then God told me that I was that yahoo and he saved me. Like when you are in that place and you see yourself as that wretch, that worm, then you know what? The grace that he gave you, you can obey. You can be the girl who in the Old Testament, has her whole family killed and she becomes a slave under this guy Naaman. And she can see herself, right, as uh, not deserving of any grace and the guy that killed her whole family, she sees a bunch of boils on Naaman's body and tells Naaman, hey, you know what, I know this prophet who's healed people before, you need to talk to him because if you want that leprosy healed, you, you need to see him. It's that type of humility matched with obedience that God wants from us. And it's a type of humility that breaks a guy like David. And when he's being confronted with Nathan, says, I know. Like, I mean, have mercy on me. We are going to sing. Kyrie eleison. That's what we're singing after this. Uh, after the sermon. And when you're humble, you will obey. Because you do not think yourself bigger than anything. I mean, you are bigger than no one. And God, what does He do? He gives grace to the humble. He gives power to the humble. He gives the ability to obey to those of us who understand that we are sinners in need of grace. So look, when you read this psalm, when you come back to it, Remember, Lord, remember, um, remember me. 
Please don't remember the sins of my youth, but according to what? According to your love, remember me. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore what? He instructs sinners in His ways. He instructs you and me. Are you willing to obey? And when you think about it, hey, I just want to be saturated in His Word. I just want to be um, humble and the ability to be taught because I don't deserve any of this. And then he says, look, not only that, I, I need you, what? I need you as you think about this psalm, as you think about the, the way in which you are, I need you to understand that I saved you and you can't work your way to me, but you, out of your obedience and your humility, your humility it's okay. In other words, relax a little bit. Relax a little bit. You're a lot worse than you think you are. And follow me. I mean, remember Jacob. Jacob sinned against his father, Isaac. And then Jacob sinned against his brother, Esau. And then Jacob was basically exiled. And then in his exile, he what? He works for seven years, gets Leah, doesn't want to marry her, wants to marry the pretty one. And in all that weird thing, all that sin, Jacob then marries Rachel. Who comes from Rachel? Who comes from the bloodline of Rachel? Jesus. He was the sinner, right? He was the sinner, and even the parts where they mess up, he lies and he cheats, and he's exiled, and he finally gets the pretty woman, and that's the woman who Jesus comes from. Look, it's a song that instructs us. It says, he's going to guide you. Here are the keys, though, if you want to hear his voice. Saturate yourself in his word. Please, know God's word. Hide his word in your heart so that you may not sin against him. Um, and, and as we do that, as, as we relax, right, as we obey, we are going to know him. He ends, they will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. This is the abundant life that Jesus offers you and me. It doesn't mean health and wealth. It means the abundant peaceful, joyful life. It doesn't mean you won't suffer. It doesn't mean you won't be persecuted. It doesn't mean you won't mourn. But in spite of all that thing, you will have a joy that, pe- that passes all understanding. And so he begs God, guard my life. Rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let the shame of my life overwhelm me. I'm going to take my refuge in you. How are you going to start this year off? When you, when you know God's word, when you obey it, you feel the grace that comes from him choosing you when he didn't have to. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. We don't know why. He picked Jacob. There's no condition. It's he just picked Jacob. Boom. Okay, that being that. When you have those basics, here's, here's what I want to talk about emotions and feelings for God's will. Have you ever had an impression? Have you ever had an intuition? Have you ever felt like God was saying, you see that guy across the room? I want you to go talk to him. Have you ever felt like, you know what? I, need, I feel like God today, it's a Tuesday, and I need to have this conversation with my wife or with my husband. I need to have that conversation with my son today. I feel like God is saying that. It feels more emotional. It feels more existential. I think those things 
can be very, very accurate. And I think God is saying that to you specifically a lot of times. But feelings and emotions can also be sinful. So the question is, is when you feel something, right, and that's part of it, you know it, you obey it, and you still feel it, all part of our Christianity, how do you know the difference? I would just say, here's a helpful guide. When you really have been studied up and you're in his word, when you really feel like, okay, no, I am practicing righteousness. No, you'll never do that perfectly, but you are walking in his ways. Then you know what? I would begin to trust your feelings and your gut a little bit more. I would begin to think, okay, you know what? I feel like I'm, I'm knowing the truth and I'm walking in the truth and this is something I'm feeling. Because I hear a lot of people say, God told me this on a Wednesday and, you know, and I knew I was supposed to like sell my house and sell my car and move to Timbuktu and ch- preach the gospel. I'm like, whoa, you know, that's a big deal. Um, are you up on your word of God and your understanding? Are you obeying him? And if you are, then I would say, hey, listen to that more. That's right. But you need to be careful. But there is an emotional existential component to what? Deciphering what God's will is for your life. But a lot of people will just say, I just listen to what God says to me every day. And whatever I feel like he's saying, kind of like a, a, you know, something in my gut, that's God's will. Uh, I'm not sure always, right? It's a little quiver in your liver. So like, uh, it could just be like a piece of meat or something. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's from God. But maybe it is from God. I don't mean to make us paranoid. I just mean when you're in God's word and you're in community and you're obeying and, you, and you know, not perfectly, but you are following him and you know you're in a good spot, you begin to trust your emotions and relax a little bit more and find yourself in him. So like this is David. And he's just given it to the Lord. And it's a template for us. What do you think God has for you? If you haven't been in God's word, get in it. Read it. Read it a lot. If, um, if you need to work on some of these acts of obedience, then work on them. Get right in these, in these areas. You're never going to do it perfectly, but get right. And not to, to win your salvation... But so that you can be right with God, so you can hear his voice. And if those things are right and good, then hey, listen. But if you don't have any of those, um, hey, start with knowing his revealed will. Knowing his commanded will. And then what? We can understand his planned will. So that's my prayer for our church. And I get worried and nervous, like, okay, are we right? Is the session right? Are the leadership right? Is the staff right? The deacons right? Are we right? Those of you that you know you're, you're leading a certain area of our church, are we right so we are making the right decisions as we move forward as a church? You know what we're called to. We're called to become, we're not a church plan anymore. We're called to mature. I mean, we're called to take this next step. And I think it's going to be hard for us. It's, I, mean, it's going to, I mean, this is a, a, a kind of a, a key growth time. There's nothing like being a church that grew and matured for five years. And for the next 20 years, they stayed at a five-year-old level. I mean, that happens to Christians all the time, right? You get saved, you grow like a weed for the first year. And for the next 20 years, you're a one-year-old Christian. It's hard. It's hard to do this. But it's here for us. And I believe it's what God is calling us to. 
um, this year, in 2017. So let's pray and ask that God moves in our hearts, calls us closer to Him. God, we thank You for Jesus. Jesus and His death and His grace frees us up to sing this song, to be in um, full confession mode, but then in full mission mode. I mean, God, I believe there are people in this room right now, they've never once ever shared their faith with anybody close to them. They've never once talked to a, verbalized to a family member that they are a God-fearing, Jesus-loving Christian. And you're calling them just to not try to convert or win someone to Christ, just to literally tell them their testimony. That that would be a big step. That would be part of what you're trying to prescribe for for them. God, I know there's others in this room that I think you're maybe working on them as far as the business that they're in, the, the industry that they're in. And they're feeling like their ethics and their morals are being just challenged by the world's morals. And you're calling them out of that life. That life of ambition, that life of greed, that life of, hey, I want to hit this number. God, give them your wisdom, your guidance. God, I know that there are students that they're on the fence. They've, when they're at church, they say the church thing, and when they're at school, they do the school thing, and they're two different people. And you're calling them to oneness, to wholeness. Hey, as for me and my house, what are, what are we going to do? And you are calling them to, hey, now come be a Christian, a little Christ. And God, it's those types of lives. It's those types of counterculture lives. God, I know the world is looking at and saying, hey, please tell me there's something different about you because I don't have meaning over here. We got... 56,000 people that live within a two-mile radius here. And we have, what, 16% go to church? And probably a lot less than that that are true believers. I mean, the fields are white unto harvest. And you say that the laborers are few. God, please guide us. Make us the church you would have us be. In your name, amen.